33. Two Commandments. A true act of love, unlike imaginary love, is hard and forbidding. What strikes me most about the two commandments of Jesus of Nazareth is two things. First, there are only two, so remembering them is pretty easy. Second, that they have an order, and Jesus even says this clearly, even explicitly. He's asked, which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied, the first is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then he says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I think most people today agree with the second commandment. We reflexively grant our assent to that idea, and this is because that appears to be common sense, and on the surface level appears to be the easy one, but it's only easy in the way that we interpret it today. The second command to love one another is what the modern world has kept, but we have forgotten about the first commandment to love God. But these ideas only work if done in the right order. Love God has to be primary to make love one another work at all. I'll try to explain what I mean. There's a chapter in my favorite novel, The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, called A Lady of Little Faith. In this chapter, there's a story of a doctor who says, To my amazement, the more I love mankind as a whole, the less I love individual people. This doctor adds that he would visualize the great sacrifices he might make for mankind, but in reality, he admitted that he couldn't stand to be with anyone for two days without coming to hate the person, saying, because he eats too slowly or keeps blowing his nose. Now, this is reminiscent of many Seinfeld episodes, as Jerry is often driven to loathe his girlfriends for very minor flaws, such as, she eats her peas one at a time, or she's a low talker, or she has man hands. Jerry can't keep a relationship because he always finds the flaw that drives him nuts. You can see this happening today, where the online individual loves the world. It's declared widely and openly online. We all claim to love all people, but it's a distant and sanitized love one another. It's not the up-close and gritty kind of love for actual human beings. It is a clean, separated, pie-in-the-sky kind of love. It's imaginary love. In the same Dostoevsky book is a monk named Father Zosima who gives a response to this doctor's dilemma. The monk implies that to love humanity but hate individual people is a great bait and switch we do to ourselves to feel better. The monk says, a true act of love, unlike imaginary love, is hard and forbidding. Imaginary love yearns for an immediate heroic act that is achieved quickly and seen by everyone, as long as the ordeal doesn't last too long. So what is the answer then? What is the difference between the Facebook kind of love one another and a real love one another? For many people, their heroic act is seen as a vote for the right party or sharing a video or clicking like on certain posts. 
The monk explains the real difference in the next line of the book, and he says, A true act of love, on the other hand, requires hard work and patience, and for some, it is a whole way of life. And what are the consequences of that kind of love? It is harsh. It drives you into despair, or it can. There is not usually a reward. No transaction takes place. People that enter into the true acts of love get mocked or ostracized or called extremists. They grow quickly tired or humiliated and want to give up. They are gossiped about. This kind of true act is not typically fun or brief or even uplifting. A week of volunteering can cure people of the urge to love individuals because their volunteer effort may not be recognized, rewarded, or even acknowledged. It takes labor, and it can usually only be carried out by someone who seems slightly crazy to the rest of the world. Take Dorothy Day, servant of the poor, <clears throat> who warned volunteers, there are two things you should know about the poor. They tend to smell, and they are ungrateful. This is from the same woman who poured her entire existence into helping the poor. She was warning the generic lover of humanity who came, to help, <clears throat> who came to help about the reality of what they would face in individuals and that the utopia ideas about charity, about loving humanity, could be checked with their coats at the door. Before I say the next sentence, let me qualify this by saying that charity done by corporations is a wonderful thing. And now let me just say what I'm going to say. Corporate charity that have, that has employees volunteer for a day is an attempt at the grand imaginary act, the immediate heroic act that is achieved quickly and seen by everyone, as the employees get t-shirts printed and take selfies and post on social media so that all know that they made an effort and they claim their honor publicly. Every corporate volunteer day I've been involved in is more about boosting employee morale and t-shirts than it is about entering into the suffering of individuals. Often the company name is emblazoned in self-congratulations every step of the way, and we all know it's about the company's public image and employee morale, not the actual act of charity. Now let me again follow my insult there by saying that a great deal of money and time is given by corporations and corporate employees, which is great. But to pretend that the motive is similar to the love one another that Jesus speaks of is to be played by sentimental advertising and marketing, which is often internal and aimed directly at employees, but also customers too. Anyone with a discerning eye who has worked inside a large company can feel the blast furnace of internal propaganda regarding the mission, which is always to make the world better by selling whatever it is the company happens to be selling. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps oil companies really do love the environment, as their ads remind us. The monk in the book, the Brothers Karamazov, adds that true acts of love will never be noticed, they will never reach the goal, and perhaps never even appear to make progress. Here's a quote. At the very moment when you see despairingly that despite all your efforts, you have not only failed to come closer to your goal, but seem farther from it than ever, at that very moment you will have achieved your goal and will recognize the miraculous power of our Lord, who has always loved you and has secretly guided you along. 
To me, the order of Jesus' two commandments is of the utmost importance, as I know plenty of atheists that love humanity, but simultaneously hate a lot of the individuals that they meet, especially religious people. On the flip side, I know quite a few Christians with the same problem. They love humanity as a whole, and they love individuals, but only those that love them back or agree with their worldview. I fall into this trap often, before and after I was reconverted to faith. And this is the key element of the second commandment of Jesus that goes unnoticed or ignored on purpose. How easy it is to love a distant blob called humanity or mankind, and likewise, how effortless to love someone who is a friend already, or a lover, or your ally. This is not what Jesus is talking about. To love someone who is not like you, who hates you, who disagrees with you, and has habits that you don't like, and revolts you politically or morally, this is extremely difficult. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about loving your friends who already love you. He's not talking about loving some distant blob of people. He's talking about loving those near you, especially those who don't like you. And I've heard it said that the reason they say love your neighbor is because a lot of the times your neighbors are your enemies. When you attempt to love those which you loathe, you will not last long in that love. If you must deal with a person who rubs you wrong for any extended period of time, you cannot maintain any kind of love without the love of God shoring up the foundations. Most people will irritate you given enough time. Our phones and computers now provide the perfect escape for returning to the distant love of humanity because people drive us insane. And those who enter into the gritty and thankless kind of love I believe that the only way they can maintain it is through the first commandment that Jesus gives, which is to love God. Only God can hold you fast to the idea of forgiveness and giving over of oneself to others. As we know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it is only through him that we can reach the kingdom of God. There's this, the quote, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. There's a popular phrase today which hearkens to Stoicism, which states, the only way through is through. The problem with that is there is nothing to go through to reach or arrive at. But Christians know that the only way through is indeed through, but it is through the cross. The cross is where Jesus was crucified before being risen, and so must our own selves die before they can be reborn. And that is where the three words, rules from word on fire work so well in keeping us between the lines as Bishop Barron and Word on Fire has outlined these. The three rules are this. One, faith. Christ must be the unwavering center of my life. The second one, hope. Remember, I am a sinner who needs saving. And three, charity. My life is not about me. Those three, faith, hope, and charity, are the theological virtues of the church. Now those three things neatly help keep Jesus' two commandments in the right place, and just as importantly, in the correct order. And the order is critical. Love God before you love one another. I think you can love God without loving one another, but I don't believe that you can truly 
and lastingly love one another in the trenches of real life without loving God first. The second commandment withers and dies rather quickly if the first commandment isn't watering and shining God's light upon it. You can try to keep the facade of love one another going, but it fades because God is the only supporting structure that can make sense of the idea in the second commandment. And once God is forgotten, it is very easy to justify making life about yourself instead of others. You can pretend to love mankind when you really don't. And this is the struggle. And it is a struggle to keep these two rules because our instincts fight against it. And without faith, we despair in the trenches and revert back to serving the self. And the answer is to fight back. That's the challenge. And following the life of Christ is the weapon. I never understood the idea of spiritual warfare, but at the bottom, the battle is against turning back to myself, and it will never stop being a battle. To quote Dorothy Day again, she was an updated version of Dostoevsky's monk, yet she was a real person, not imaginary, and she didn't make t-shirts about her volunteering or take selfies and post them online. She followed the two commandments always, and probably not perfectly, but as perfect as anyone possibly can. Here's a quote. My own sins that give me such clarity, but I cannot worry much about your sins and miseries when I have so many of my own. My prayer from day to day is that God will so enlarge my heart that I will see you all and live with you all in his love. <laughs>